Open your Bibles today, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. A few weeks ago, I was preaching on verses 21 through 23 in this chapter, and I remarked how this portion of Scripture is one of the most sobering parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that there are many people that call him Lord. They think that they know him. They believe that they are a part of his kingdom. But the great tragedy of their lives is the tragedy of self-deception. There is a narrow way to heaven, according to verse number 14. And Jesus said that there are few people that are actually going there. And I don't know how many people are actually going to heaven. Uh, I believe that Jesus knows. I, I believe when he says that there are few, that he must be right about this. I know that all across the world, there are people that have never yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ even one time, much less to think about those who have heard it so many times in our own country. But when Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't particularly talking about those people. There were undiscovered parts of the world. There were unknown parts to the people that he was speaking to on that particular day. But Jesus wasn't saying anything at all about people in the other parts of the world. If you remember, Jesus said in another scripture that he wasn't sent to anyone but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's another discussion for another day. But the point is that Jesus was dealing with the people that were sitting right in front of him. There was a huge crowd that was there, and these weren't people that had never heard the word of God. These weren't people that knew nothing at all about the laws that were found that had been taught by Moses. They, they knew very well about the prophets of the Old Testament. They had heard the scriptures before. They were very highly religious people. They were brought up from day one going to the synagogues. And there they would hear the scribes and the Pharisees talk about God. And so this was a highly religious crowd that Jesus was speaking to. And yet he said to them that there were many of them that were not in God's kingdom. He said few are in the kingdom of God. And he meant them. He wasn't talking about people that were on the other side of the world. He wasn't speaking of heathen nations that surrounded them. He meant them. Many of them were deceived. Jesus said that there would be false prophets that would tell them lies, false prophets that would lead them down to the broad road of destruction. And he warned them to look out for them. And I'm sure that by the time that he ended this sermon, these people were looking at their religious leaders with a very jaundiced eye. But that wasn't the only problem that they faced. Deception by a false prophet, that was bad. And certainly it is. But there's a more insidious danger that Jesus speaks of here in these last verses, and this is the danger of self-deception. And that's when you think that you've got it. When you think that you really are on your way to heaven, but you actually aren't. In verses 21 through 23, that is the person that Jesus is talking about. There are few that find the narrow way. Well, now Jesus illustrates the point. There are many pithy sayings that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. There are memorable portions of this that have been spoken of in many different sermons. But probably the most well-known illustration that Jesus gave is in verses 24 through 27. His closing remarks... In the Sermon on the Mount or a story or is a story about two builders. One is a wise man and one is a foolish man. One builds his house on the rock and the other builds his house on sand. I'd like you to stand today as we read this story. And I want you to notice the 
first comment in verse number 24, where Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. And I want you to keep that phrase in your mind today because that is the pivotal pivotal point. There is one validation given in Scripture for assurance of your salvation, and this is it. Do you obey Christ? In verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today, and we're ready to look into your word and to speak from your word. I ask you, Lord, you'd open our hearts today to the message that you would have us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have to keep going back to the previous statement that Jesus made in verses 21 through 24. Because here we read as we start here, verses 21 through 23 rather, because here in verse number 24, Jesus begins with therefore. And that means that what we have here is a conclusion drawn from what has been spoken before. And since we're concerned today about how this scripture that Jesus gave, the illustration that he gave applies to you and me, we have to be very much aware that there are many people in Christian churches today who really don't know Christ. And we have to take it even a little bit narrower than that. We need to look into our own hearts and right into the congregation of Berean Baptist Church today and realize that there may be even some sitting here today who think that they're on the way to heaven, but they actually aren't. Now, Jesus illustrated this point by two builders. And we began last week by starting or started with the contrast of construction. And we talked about how the two houses that these men built were built in the same location. They were built with the same desire. Both men desired a place of safety. They wanted a place of well-being. They wanted a place of good family values, a place to raise their children. The reasons that they built here are the same. And for a time, the construction of their houses looked very similar. And so they choose a similar place. They have the same desires. The houses look very similar from the ground up. But the problem and the difference between these two houses is the foundation. The foundation that they're built upon. There's something that's very different about their foundations. And the one that has the faulty foundation is not discovered until the storm comes. And whether that storm is a trial of life or whether we would be speaking about the final judgment that God brings upon the world, the ability of each to weather that storm is very different. Last week, we only had time to discuss one of these builders. Jesus started with the wise man, and so that's where we began. And so we talked about this this builder who has a firm foundation, a foundation that is firm. And this is the man who knew what Jesus meant when he said in verse number 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. 
The rock that the man built his house on was the sayings of Jesus. Now, of course, we're talking about the house. The house is a man's life. That's the metaphor that's given here. These are Jesus' commands that he builds his house upon. These are the teachings of Jesus that he previously gave in this sermon. And the man who builds his house on Christ's commands is, in effect, building his life on Christ himself. Scripture says that Jesus is the living word. He came down from heaven. And in order for you to be connected with him, you have to be connected to his word. The scripture says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if your faith is to have a firm foundation, it has to be built upon the word of God. And the only way that you can build on the word of God is to be obedient to God's commands. I hope that all of that doesn't sound circular to you, but this is exactly what he means. The true believer in Christ, the one who claims Christ as Savior and the one who is truly a Christian, is the person who has submitted himself to the Lordship of Christ. And that doesn't mean that he works for his salvation. It doesn't mean that he works to try to gain his faith. It only means that the faith that has been given to him by Christ, that seed that's been implanted in him by the Holy Spirit of God, is something that will work out of him. Always in his life, there will be a demonstration that God has actually changed his life. He has a holy life. And if there is no obedience to the commands of Christ, then there is no evidence of salvation. And so we looked at that. We looked at this man who digs down deep, the one who counts the cost of following Christ, the one who really treasures God's word, the one who humbles himself under Christ's command, the one who searches the scriptures and guards his heart with what he finds in God's word. This is the person who is very deeply affected when he finds sin in his life. That sin bothers him. And his greatest desire is to have a clean heart and to seek after righteousness. So this is the man who has a firm foundation. And when that storm comes, his house stands firm because that foundation is built upon the rock. He's down in the bedrock of faith. And his faith is built upon that rock which cannot be moved. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. But we need to move on from that now because there is another man that we need to consider. And by looking at his house, we see someone who makes all the wrong moves. And we can begin to detect when that foundation has not been built. Or when his house has not been built upon the right foundation. Now thirdly, today what we want to consider is the signs of a house that's built on sand. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now the first concept that we need to note about verse number 27 is that it corresponds to those that are in verse number 21. These are the ones who say, Lord, Lord, but they don't actually do the will of the Father. This is the disobedient man. And in fact, we find him mixed in among God's people. He's mixed in among true believers. He's built his house in the same location. He has the same desires, but the proper foundation for his house has not been laid. 
Now let me just throw in just a a side note here, is that I don't understand why many of you want to turn on the radio and you listen to the television and you let yourselves be confused by the nonsense of all this religious broadcasting that you hear. There's one writer who said it well, there are a lot of people that are selling sandlots. As we read verses 15 through 20, These are people that were selling sandlots. They have nothing to offer but to peddle sandlots. And folks, if you're not careful with that stuff, you're going to build your foundation on the wrong thing, and you are going to step into a hole, and you're going to be sucked down by that quicksand. It reminds me of the news reports where you see a house around here in California that's been built on a sinkhole. And all of a sudden, the ground opens up, and it swallows that house completely. And if you are building your life on that kind of stuff, one day you're going to be sorry. And if you have problems continually discerning between what's true and what's wrong, what's real, what's not real, what is God's word and not, what is not God's word, then that is a sign that all is not right with your foundation. Now let me go on though, because I want to do my best in the remaining time that we have today to give you five markers, give you five signs of a house that's built on the sand, a house that does not have a firm foundation. Now, the first one is really the most obvious, and this is the person who has reservations about doing Christ's commands. Now, that's really the main point of the passage, isn't it? Obedience is the biggest sign that everything is actually fine. Obedience is the validation of salvation. But if you find it tough to actually listen to Christ and enjoy doing his will then that's a very, very bad sign. A few weeks ago, I was speaking about false Christians who have so much trouble making it to church. I mean, they just can't squeeze out any holiness. There are just too many worldly pleasures that are taking place that divert them from where God wants them to be. The other day, I was in the grocery store, and I met a lady that attended church here for a while. In fact, I'd met with her one time, and I talked to her about... And she had a desire, she said, that Berean would be the place where she and her family would come and they were worshipped. And so I saw her in the grocery store. I didn't see her at first. She saw me. And without speaking, as I said, I didn't see her first. She saw me. She thought that I had seen her. And she had this guilt that came over her all of a sudden. Without even saying a word, she speaks and she could hardly catch her breath between apologizing for not being in church and saying, Satan just hinders me so much. I I hate Satan, is what she told me. I I, I hate Satan because he puts all these things in in my life, all the obstacles, and so I don't come to church. You know, it was the oddest thing when I was speaking to her, because I hear all kinds of excuses why people don't go to church. Believe me, I've heard just about all of them. But, you know, people say, well, I had to go here, I had to go there, I was out of town, something else was taking place, I couldn't be there, somebody was sick, this happened, that happened, the dog and everything else, all things are going on. But this lady didn't do that. Instead, she said something I hadn't heard before. She said to me, you know something, I haven't been anywhere, I've just been at home. I've been sitting at home. I, I, I was right there, I could have come to church, but I didn't. And she claimed that she was a Christian and... And she told me, she, she said her, her husband's a Christian, and yet they find it hard to actually do Christ's commands. You know, that is a sign, that is a marker. You see, when you claim that you have faith, and the obvious, very simplest commands that God gives, that you have trouble with that, you have difficulty doing that, that's a sign that your foundation is no deeper 
than the shifting sand. I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Titus. Uh, find Titus. Go back in your Bible there past First and Second Timothy. And we find this little letter that Paul wrote to Titus, who was a Gentile convert. Titus was a great helper for Paul. He was a good Christian. Paul has a lot to say about godly living in other places in the New Testament. And this is one of the places where Paul speaks of it. And he says in Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. There is conclusive evidence from these statements that a true child of God will have a great desire to serve him. Paul says that we have been taught And what he means is that this Holy Spirit that indwells us, teaches us, this living spirit teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And further he says that the Spirit tells us to live soberly and righteously and godly. In other words, what he's telling us is if the Holy Spirit is in you, then your heart could not consistently spew out evil thoughts. You can't have corrupt speech. You can't enjoy your Friday nights out on the town in places that you shouldn't be. And he says another thing. The believer looks for the glorious appearing of Christ. Now, I know that there are probably many of you that don't look for Christ because you'd be far too embarrassed for him to come. You'd be too embarrassed for him to look over your shoulder to see what you're typing as you're sending out your little things on the Internet. You'd be too embarrassed for Christ to come and find you in the middle of one of your phone conversations or for Christ to find you in one of those night spots that you love to have it. You see, you wouldn't be looking for Christ, and if you were, it'd be only to hide from him because you wouldn't want him to find you in that place. And then Paul ups the ante here by saying that Christ died to redeem us from iniquity. He says he saves us out of that and he purifies us And then very carefully, listen carefully, he makes us zealous of good works. You know what that means? That means that you're eager to serve Christ. You don't have reservations about following Christ's commands. You're a zealot for good works. You understand what that word zealot means? A zealot is someone who has a fervent or even a militant or is a militant proponent of something. So this is the person who is not content to do just a good deed. This is a person who lives that way. That's the way of his life. It emanates from him. Now you compare your life to what Paul says in Titus 2 and see if you are sinking fast or you're standing firm. Another sign that a person has built his house on the wrong foundation is that he has religious activity for the wrong reasons. Now, we go back to the book of Matthew here, and we can find an example of this, or see if we can here, of this particular sign. And if you look in chapter 6, into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse number 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. 
Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse number 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In verse number 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Do you ever struggle with this? Do you ever show up for church and rather than feeling God's presence here, and rather than desiring to worship God and feeling the Holy Spirit moving you to worship Him, that you really feel detached from all of that? Do you ever come to church and you go into your Sunday school class, maybe some of you that are teachers, and you go in and you teach your Sunday school class just so you can show people how much you know? Do you ever get up in front of the church or do you stand out there in the congregation and you sing just in order to show other people what a beautiful little songbird that you are? You know, somebody once told me that I don't preach enough about holiness, so I'm going to hit you one more time in the head for the fifth week in a row. Are you a hypocrite because you make a show of your religion in here, but you act like scum out there? Scum, that's a tough word, isn't it? Should preachers say things like that from the pulpit? Perhaps you would prefer that I quoted from Jesus. Jesus says that people like this are those that are full of dead men's bones. In other words, what he's speaking of is stinking, rotting flesh. And what about Isaiah? Isaiah the prophet said that these kinds of people are those who have open wounds, sores that are sticky with pus. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? And you know who he said that about? He said that about Israel when they pretended to worship God, but they were really rotten on the inside. And I don't want to get mired in any deep controversy today, but the Word of God says that a person who loves the Lord and worships Him and who is thankful towards Him, who prays towards Him, he must worship with holy hands. Lift up holy hands. And he doesn't mean they're waving your hands all over the auditorium. He means a person who has a heart that's been purified, a heart that recognizes the sin in his life, a heart who confesses that, and this is what you have to do when you come to worship God. You have to be repentant, and you have to be confessed up from all of your sins. See, religious activity for the wrong reasons never impresses God. He knows your heart. Now that leads me to a next sign. Your foundation is faulty, and it may be built upon shifting sands if you regularly sin but you refuse to repent. And we all sin, don't we? I don't stand here before you today telling you that I don't sin. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. And the Lord has not seen fit when he saves someone to remove that sinful nature from him. We live with this sinful nature. But what God has done, he's put within us an ability by the Holy Spirit that we can contain it. The Apostle John states it a peculiar way in 1 John. He said, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It may a little bit, be a little bit difficult, but what he means is that that person who is saved does not continue in sin as a lifestyle. He does not habitually sin because he has the seed in him. He has the new nature of God in him. And the Holy Spirit always works through that new nature to make sure that God's light shines out of him. And so that new nature will not allow you to continue in sin without beating you to death over it. 
You'll be miserable if you sin. And so what do you do? Well, John explains that in 1 John 1 verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you won't stay in sin if you're a child of God. You will confess your sins, and if you don't, it will eat you up on the inside. And so you can't go on regularly gossiping and using filthy talk. You can't go on without forgiveness in your heart. And you can't come to church gladly separated by other people here by the aisles because you don't want to fellowship with another person in the church that you don't like. You can't live that way because the Holy Spirit won't let you live that way. You're miserable. And if you're not, if you can live that way and go that way, then your house has not been built upon the rock. It's a sign of one that's built upon the sand. I mean, have you really never gotten the point of what Jesus said in verses or chapters 5 and 6? Because he went down the list of the Jews' religion and he systematically dismantled that whole system of self-righteousness and he exposed them for what they really were down in their hearts. Their religion was all, all outward. There wasn't anything on the inside. So you weren't going to find these Jews confessing about how they had treated one another. You wouldn't find them with confession of the lewd thoughts they thought were thinking. And you wouldn't find them sorrowful over unholy anger. And that's another one that we need to consider, don't we? I mean, when is the last time that you got mad about something? I mean, when you threw a fit over something... And then you stop right then and you ask God to forgive you of that. You see, if those kinds of things don't bother you, then you're not a born-again Christian. What you've done is you've built your house upon the sand. It is an unsure foundation. And so if you can regularly sin and that does not tear you up on the inside, you won't be able to stand storms. And friends, you will not withstand God's judgment. Now let me shift gears and we'll go in a little bit different direction with these last two. A sign that your house is built upon the sand is when you rest in what you already know. Now, I'm speaking here of a person that you can't teach. These are people that have had an experience of some kind, and the experience is really all they need to know. So they felt something. They saw a vision. Could be they heard a voice. Whenever you talk to them about salvation, this is always the place that they go. They want to talk about the experience that they had. They want to tell you what they heard, the light that they saw, the touch that they felt, or something of that sort. And so they have that, and that's all they want. So you really can't bother them with doctrine. They aren't interested with the deeper parts of God's Word. And Paul complains about that sort. He says these are the kinds of people that can't take any meat. These are people that suck bottles all day long, and so you have to pacify them constantly. You have to keep them from being upset about the most insignificant things. These are church members that are always riled about something. They're always making a big production out of everything. These are people that have their houses built on sand. They haven't really gotten anything. They are so easily offended by me or you And it makes you wonder, how much offense can they really stand when it comes to the gospel? When Jesus was telling the parable of the sower, he included this sort. And we don't have time to go into that whole parable today, but I want you to listen to one part of it. He says in Matthew 13, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while... For when tribulation or persecution ariseth 
because of the word, by and by he is offended. And that is the exact parallel to the person who builds his house on the sand. He hears the word of God and he's a gung-ho Christian, but only on the surface. There is no deep root, and so he can hold on for just a little while until the tribulation comes, until the persecution comes, and then he's offended. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm taking a shoot off of that sprouting seed, and I'm saying that a person who is easily offended in church by all sorts of petty little things, how are they ever going to stand a real trial of faith when it comes? You see, if you're the type of person who stomps out of here because you got mad at some silly thing that happened in church, and you go out of here in a huff and all mad about this, and you haven't stopped to see if you could resolve the problem, and if you haven't esteemed yourself better, or esteemed others better than yourself, as Paul said, instead you're mad and you aren't going to take it anymore, and that's what people, I'm not going to take it anymore, so I'm going to show myself. And so you think you have some things that need to be said. You've just got to say them. And you haven't learned that some things are better left unsaid. If you're that type of person, that is a telltale sign that your foundation is not in the right place. You aren't teachable. You can't really get this thing about Christian graces. Paul states this or talks about it a little bit in 2 Timothy. He says, these are people that are ever learning and are never able to come to the truth. So they come to church, and they come to church, and they come to church, and the pastor's kind of thinking, I wish they'd stay away, stay away, stay away. You know, it's like like my mom used to say. She'd say, sometimes, son, you're more trouble than you're worth. And that's the way it is with a lot of Christian people in churches. Now, that leads me to the last one today. There's a lot more of these, and I could tell you about so many more, but let's go to the last one because this one dovetails in perfectly with those who rest in what they already know. The person who has a faulty foundation is the one who regards the word when he hears it, but then he readily forgets it. And this is the person that probably got really stirred about things when I preached that first message on false professors. They got a lump in their throat by the things that I said, and they got really concerned about what they were hearing. And they said, how does he know that about me? I was doing that on Facebook just last night, and he's talking about me. And they they get all excited about that. They're bothered really bad about what I've said, but they got over it. They heard the word, and it lasted all of about five minutes until they got out the door. And you see a lot of... Christians that are like that. Years ago, Lanny Wolf wrote a song that had a very sorrowful line. He said, I'm so tired of being stirred, but not being changed. You see, a heart that won't do something about what's heard, who gets stirred by the preaching all for about 30 minutes while the preacher is talking about it, that is a person who has his faith built on nothing but sand. Apostle James actually has that kind of person pegged In remembrance of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, he wrote in James chapter 1, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
Now James says if you hear the word and don't put it into practice, it's like a man who looks into a mirror. And there he sees that he has a booger on his nose. And he walks away forgetting that he shouldn't have eaten that thing and gotten rid of it. And so he just looks into the mirror and he's all concerned about it right then. But he walks away from the mirror forgetting all about it. And so he walks around all day with that thing on his face. That's how ridiculous it is for you to come and to listen to sermons and get all antsy about it for the few minutes that you're hearing it. But then you leave church like it never happened. But the person who really knows the Lord, the Scripture says he will look into the perfect law of liberty and it will always benefit him. Because what he does, he hears the word and then he puts that into practice. William MacDonald wrote, It's easy to read the Bible casually or because of a sense of duty without being affected by what we read. We see what we ought to be, but we quickly forget and live as if we were already perfect. This type of self-satisfaction prevents spiritual progress. In contrast is the man who looks into the Word of God and who habitually reduces it to practice. His contemplative, meditative gazing has practical results in his life. To him, the Bible is the perfect law of liberty. Its precepts are not burdensome. They tell him to do exactly what his new nature loves to do. As he obeys, he finds true freedom from human traditions and carnal reasonings. The truth makes him free. This is the man who benefits from the Bible. He does not forget what he has read. Rather, he seeks to live it out in daily practice. His simple, childlike obedience brings incalculable blessing to his soul. This one is blessed in what he does. Jesus said, those who say, Lord, Lord, are not the ones who are going to be in heaven, but these who actually do the will of the Father are the ones that are actually saved. So the foolish man builds his house on the sand, and that's just an illustration of what Jesus said in verses 21 through 23. He says they believe that they're saved, they're self-deceived. They have a house that looks good to them, the surroundings look fine, everything looks okay, but they never took time to evaluate what their house is built upon. They didn't dig deep, they didn't find the rock, and sooner or later their house will be swept away. Now, friend, I hope that you are sure about your foundation. And I told you last week that Jesus didn't tell this story as if it was too late. He didn't tell this story as if there's nothing that you can do about this right now. But he encourages us to examine ourselves, to dig down deep, and to see what that foundation is actually laid upon. And so he never intended that any of these people that were listening to him, they were alive right then. And he never intended that they should get up and just walk away without doing anything about what he said. So what is the right way? Well, the right way is to get off the broad path. It's to back up from that wide gate that leads to destruction, to back up until you find that narrow gate, and then you go through that because that's the one that leads to life. We must seek God's righteousness. And so if you have these signs of a house that's been built upon the sand, then your life is never going to end up in heaven. You're, you're not going the right way. And so what you need to do is you need to turn around because you've only fooled yourself about whether you are really a Christian. The one who really knows the Lord is the one who does the will of the Father. And one thing that you need to remember when that storm comes, and next week this is what we're going to get into, 
What are the storms that Jesus is speaking of? And there is a storm that's coming and one that results in judgment. And the thing that you need to remember more than anything else right now is that eternity is a long, long, long time. So make sure that your house is built on the rock and not upon the sand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the warnings that are given to us here. And just as Jesus preached to these people near the Sea of Galilee, he intended that they should not walk away to hear the word of God, to listen to what he said, and then act like it didn't mean anything at all. The true hearers are the ones that would actually do what's been said. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to some heart today and help them to realize that they have not been doers of the word and the house is built in the wrong place. And Lord, we pray, I just pray today that you would open their eyes and help them to understand that that foundation must be in the right place. We're not kidding here. We're not telling fantasy stories. We're talking about what's going to happen when a person has to face Jesus Christ as the righteous judge. So I pray, Lord, you speak to some heart today. Draw them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.